JC Corcoran Podcast. Here's a little song I wrote about someone who hurt me real bad. My nose's been broke, my eyes have been poked, my ears have been twisted all around. My head has been punched, my face has been scrunched, I spent a lot of time on the ground. My mouth has been smacked, my teeth have been cracked, I've had to spit out a lot of grass. But nothing I say compares to the day when you kick my heart's ass. My lip has been split to where I'm dribbling spit And I thought for sure that I would die I've coughed up blood while my face was in mud With my spurs aiming up at the sky Bottles have been broken off my head While I've been choking on a meal of broken glass But nothing I say compares to the day When you kick my heart's ass No, nothing I say compares to the day When you kick my heart's ass Darling, I never walked away from a fight in my life. I always laid there, bleeding and gasping and hoping that I would live to see you again. I've had guys the size of mountains hurt me so bad I'm amazed I'm still alive. So tell me, how is it possible that a little sweet thing like you is capable of giving a heart such an ass whooping? My butt's been kicked as my head's been sticked in commodes from coast to coast. I've been kicked, punched, smacked, choked, face scrunched, eyes poked, burned into cigarette toast. I've been beat so bad that the doctors had to put me in a full body cast. But nothing I say compares to the day when you kick my heart's ass. No, nothing I say compares to the day when you kick my heart's ass. How horrible it feels to be head over heels when you kick my heart's ass. You kick my heart's ass. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous. Don't be rocky. You're our teenage guest is jockey now. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful look. Did that voice inside you say, I've heard it all before. It's like deja vu all over again. It is Tuesday, September 26, 2023, and you are at jconthewine.com. I got some bad news. The laryngitis is flaring up again. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to go here. If we have to cut this short today, we do. And if we don't, uh, we'll just eke it out. And I'm going to sound like, well, you're going to hear something very funny here in just a minute where I can actually take advantage of the throat problems I'm having. I might as well get into it right away. I've talked about this many times before. I have all of my planners for, oh gosh, all the way back to 82, I believe it is. So you go uh, Office Max and you buy one of those big books, you know, year at a glance, month at a glance, week at a glance, whatever it is. I get month at a glance because I like to be able to look at the entire month and sort of see where the balance is. Am I too busy 
for the 3rd, 4th, and 5th of November. If I have a doctor's appointment, look at all this empty space I got here in the third week of November. So schedule it there. I know people who have all of that information on their, well, it started on their Blackberries and uh, on their cell phones, and that doesn't do me a bit of good. If I can't see the whole month, that is of no use to me. But anyhow, I, I have all of them all the way back to 1982. And so they're great historical references because on a personal level, I can go back and say, oh, I remember this weekend I had with so and so. It was so much fun. Or we went here, we went on this trip, like on this date in 2005. I remember I was with Albert Pujols at Patrick's, which, if I'm not mistaken, that eventually became Pool Holes 5. I haven't been up at Westport, that end of Westport, in a while. I don't know what that is anymore. But I got my picture taken with Albert and Dee Dee. Boy, you haven't heard anything about her. Can you imagine what that divorce settlement looked like? Jesus. And then, uh, like on this date in 1997, I was in New York interviewing Janine Garofalo for an underrated movie called The Matchmaker, which is, it's a great story. It's a terrific story. The movie has got a lot of things wrong with it, but I still enjoy watching it. And there's some stuff that's really, really funny in this movie. And it has a very, very heartwarming and touching conclusion. And it's about this sort of hardened Boston political operative who works for a major politician in Boston. And this guy's having a little problem with his poll numbers. So he says, look, we're going to send you to Ireland and we want you to just dig around through libraries, newspapers, chit chat with the local people. There's this little hamlet. It's only a couple of hundred people. We're going to send you out there because we have reason to believe that he, this this politician in Boston, might be related to the Kennedy family. And that if that happens, if we can prove that, oh my God, that will help our poll numbers so much, I'll get reelected, so we're sending you. So sure enough, she ends up with this thing that's just basically green grass, little hamlets, rocks, and water. And I should also say, Janine Garofalo, who usually looks like she just spent three days on a bus, was all, you know, doing the hair and the makeup and the lighting, and she looked beautiful. And she's a very good actress. It's just that she's so obnoxious the rest of the time with the politics. And I'm on her side for the most part. But anyhow, so I was in New York doing interviews for that and also a movie which I just saw for the first time in years last weekend. And that was a Kevin Klein movie with Sigourney Weaver and a bunch of people called The Ice Storm. It was, I believe, Ang Lee's first big movie. Ang Lee was the guy who then went on to do The Hulk and everything like that. But this was a... uh, period piece from the 1970s heavy duty uh, psychology going on in this movie the ice storm two movies you know that you know, sometimes you're this used to be the problem at blockbuster i would go in there on a friday night i'd see people just staring at the wall and i don't know what it was but everybody always went to the new releases and i never went to the new releases i always went and tried to get movies that i knew i liked or maybe a movie i had heard about that for whatever reason i had missed but people just staring at that wall. And I would always try to redirect people. I'll go, look, do you like this director? You like these people in the movie? Fine. Come here with me. Pull them away from the new release wall and get them into the archives, get them into the library part of it and try to get them interested in some movie like um, Next Stop Wonderland. Again, an independent movie that almost nobody's heard of. Hope Davis is in it. Philip Seymour Hoffman is in it. There's a couple of uh, actors that are very unknown, but it's a wonderful movie. I recommend it all the time. Next Stop Wonderland. 
That was the great thing about Siskel and Ebert. You know, if they didn't tell you about these movies, you wouldn't know about them. And that was one of those ones that they recommended. And I remember seeing it going, man, man, I wish more people would know about this movie because they'd really, really enjoy it. But the reason I brought up the whole thing about the planners is because uh, this takes me back to a date in 1998. I like to call it the greatest interview I never got. It was on this date, 1998. So here's what happened. It was a Saturday. And back then, sometimes on the weekends, the Cardinals would have 12 noon games, 12 o'clock games to accommodate NBC, which was doing the game of the week back then. Well, I was doing a remote broadcast that morning at a computer store in North County, but I wanted to be at Bush Stadium because at that moment, with two games left in the season, you'll recall, Mark McGuire was sitting on 66 home runs. Is he going to hit 70? Is it possible that he could hit 70 home runs? So I leave that computer store at noon and I haul ass down to Bush Stadium. As I'm driving down, he's already hit one. So now he's at 67. And I get on the elevator, I come running upstairs to the press box at Bush Stadium. And back then, it was a very wide open area, really, really big. And there were two rows of tables and chairs. And then behind that was a big wide open area where if there weren't any seats left, and there weren't back then because you had the national media crawling all over the place like ants on a piece of candy on a hot summer day. And so, especially if you get there late, you're screwed. So now I'm just standing there and I'm watching the game and it's very exciting. And one inning comes to a close. I'm just sort of taking it all in and I look to my right and I swear to God, standing 15 feet from me is Bruce Springsteen and his son who appeared to be about 10 years old at the time. And now I start hyperventilating and the first thing I do instinctively is I grab my tape recorder and I turn it on and I check the level. I make sure it's running. You don't want to screw something like this up. So you always double check it. You make sure the little needle is moving. And then I very, very calmly approached Mr. Springsteen. Bruce, welcome to St. Louis. Hey man, thank you. I said, Bruce, I'm a radio guy here. We've been playing your music for the last 30 years. Would you be interested in just saying a quick hello to all your fans here in St. Louis? Oh, no, man. Just here with my son. We're trying to enjoy the game. Hope you understand, man. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. I said, well, have a great time. And I just went back over and stood where I had been. Now, this was 1998. You didn't necessarily go around taking pictures of everything. It was sort of before all of that selfie business and and living in an era that we're in now where you take a picture of everything, including your lunch. So I didn't hear the end of the story until much later, but apparently at the end of that game, and of course, McGuire hit 67 and 68. He's two away. Springsteen and his son go driving back to the airport. They get about halfway there. Bruce looks at his son and says, you want to turn around and go back and go see the game tomorrow? And his kid says, yeah. So they turn around on 170 and come back, get their hotel back. And the next day, Sunday, the Cardinals had the presence of mind to put him in a private little suite up on press row so he wouldn't be bothered by people like me. And he and his son were there to witness number 69 and 70. The greatest interview I never got. You know, I just thought of this. Let me see if I still have this. There it is. There it is. Okay. So I'm talking with Billy Bob Thornton. 
And this is another one of those stories that happened at Bush Stadium in 1998. Again, you have one of these games that starts at 12 noon to accommodate the network. The eyes of the sports world are on St. Louis and Mark McGuire every time he comes to bat. Now, I've told the story before about how the first time I interviewed Billy Bob Thornton was for the movie Sling Blade. And I'm in New York. That was the night I met uh, uh, Martin Scorsese because he was at the screening. So I come walking into the interview room to interview him for the movie. He's wearing a St. Louis Cardinals hat. So we ended up talking about that for most of the discussion, found out what a huge Cardinal fan he was. I came back to St. Louis, and I contacted the Cardinals. I go, he's living down there in Arkansas most of the time. He's an enormous Cardinal fan. He would give his left nut to meet Bob Gibson. You're always having uh, you know people throw out the ceremonial first pitch. And here's the number of his contact, which I, which I had gotten from Billy Bob, because I, I told him, I said, we're going to get you uh, to push Dave. We're going to have you throw out the first pitch. And he just sort of looked at me like, yeah, right. But I followed up on it. And sure enough, the Cardinals, that's exactly what they did. Unfortunately, things sort of went downhill from there. And then they got into this mobile home and drove from northern Arkansas all the way to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. This is back in 1998. The home run chase. Mark McGuire nationally televised game on a Saturday. Anybody remember that game? Billy Bob Thornton throws out the first pitch, and then Mark McGuire gets tossed out of the game in the first inning. And I thought a riot was going to break out. It was right at the tail end of the home run chase, and everybody's there. People buy their people driving from hundreds of miles. We're watching Mark McGuire. We're watching history. McGuire gets into a shouting match with the home play umpire on his first at bat. As it turns out, because of roid rage. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and that's everybody always remembers that it was the day that Billy Bob threw out their first pitch. Mm. And then, of course, uh, after the Cardinals World Series victory in 2006, Billy Bob was the guy who voiced the uh, the DVD, you know, commemorating the whole thing. He was the guy that did the uh, voiceover for the whole story of the 2006 World Series Cardinals. Yesterday, we had a little chance to talk with Billy Bob. All right, tell the story. I think everybody's heard it by now, but I want to hear it again. You learned to pitch. Through a Bob Gibson book or record? What was it? It was a book. He had an instructional pitching book back in the 60s when I was a little kid, and uh, I learned all my pitches out of that book. Of course, I had to learn how to throw them properly, but uh, my dad was real good about uh, you know coaching me and everything. So he used to put a – people used to hang a tire up from a rope, you know, and throw through it. My dad put the tire on the ground against a tree with a mattress behind it so I'd keep the ball down. Keep it down. Yeah. Now, back in 1998 – you got to throw out the first pitch at a Cardinal game. Everybody remembers that game because a riot almost broke out uh, afterwards. Not because of anything you did, by the way, but uh, you got a chance to talk with Bob Gibson. What was that conversation like? Well, it was fantastic. Yeah, I threw the ball to Gibson. He caught the ball for me, and I threw him a slider. I thought well, he knew I was a pitcher, so I had to throw it. I couldn't just roll it up there. And uh, he complimented me on it. It was pretty great. And uh, he, after that, he and I... Since then, we've seen each other several times, and he's always been very gracious to me and uh, always tells me great stories about when he played and everything. Um, yeah, that day in 98, that's when McGuire was uh, booted out of the game his first at bat. I remember that. <laughs> I was I was going to see Mark after the game. I, I, I had his cell phone number. We were going to have dinner or something. You didn't, didn't bother following I, up. I, I didn't even call. <laughs> didn't even call. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Joe Torrey and Tony La Russa. Two guys with that Sicilian blood just, you know, boiling in their veins. They could just melt you in your steps if they got pissed off about something. What do, they, what do they always say about discretion being the better part of valor? No winner in the Powerball last night. So tomorrow night, 
They'll be drawing for $835 million. They think they're doing this all wrong because we've had some Powerball drawings that have been worth like a billion dollars and nobody wins. I think, you know, after it goes past like, I don't know, half a billion or something like that, they should do something so that the number of big winners also increases. You don't want to give one guy a billion dollars. Give five people $200 million. Think anybody's going to complain about a $200 million payday? Even after taxis got over $100 million bucks, I would change it. I would, I would change the way they do things. Government shutdown coming up on Saturday. The only thing not affected would be mail and Social Security checks. The politicians are dumb, but they're not stupid. They made those two exceptions. Now, looks like they're working on some sort of a 45-day extension to things kicking the can down the road again this taylor swift travis kelsey thing i've never seen the entire population of the country get this pissed off this quickly about the overexposure of something but this is it this is even worse than the pete davidson thing when he was getting all these awesome chicks and getting engaged about every six months it's worse than that this only took one day now you also have a small contingent of people who still act like they're involved in the relationship like they're the ones who set them up i played you a sample of this Paige halsey on channel four on their morning show oh my god they're together look they're not holding hands but they're they're walking so this is the greatest thing ever it's like how old are you and do you know you're on the television news so then he winked at her and i know what a wink like that from a guy means because she looked at him and don't look now, but there's trouble in paradise. The paradise of Mr. Stan Kroenke. Now, he's supposed to have FIFA World Cup games at his facilities in Southern California in 2026. But I don't know. Maybe for the first time he looked at the crooked small print in one of his own contracts and realized, hey, wait a minute, I want more money out of this. And the FIFA people are like, um, this thing is only a couple of years away and it's going to require that much time to set all this up and the contract is done it's signed it's filed what do you mean you want to renegotiate the whole deal plus he lost on national tv last night to cincinnati 19 to 16 this while the city of st louis is trying to figure out what to do with the what is it 275 million whatever it is i forget once the lawyers took their cut which was which was most of it all right now there's some money left and st louis says okay we got all this money couple of hundred million dollars how do we spend it and they put together some sort of blue ribbon committee and most of them look so bewildered they're just standing there going look at all this money what do we do with it in fact if i had a patriot sunroom i wouldn't even know how to use it and they're all sitting around they started yesterday starting to try to figure out how to spend it I would not want that job because no matter what you do, you're going to be wrong. And it's going to be like the guy who wins the $800 million in the lottery. People he hasn't seen since grade school are going to come popping out with their hand out. And when you've got a couple hundred million dollars and the city of St. Louis is involved, oh man. Now what I said right from the very beginning, I have no reason to change. And that is, given the problems of the city of St. Louis, they should take every dime. Let's say it's 275. Take the 275 million and pour it all into whatever you got to do to get the crime situation in the city of St. Louis rectified. Do 
something. There's got to be city planners, psychologists, sociologists, former politicians who faced similar issues in their cities. There's people who know how, maybe not how to fix it, but to mitigate it, get it under control a little bit. So I'm, I'm, and steadfast in my position that that's how they should spend the money. I want you to listen to a conversation I was having with Skip Weber from Weber Chevrolet this morning. If you're on that board, if you're on that board with people trying to decide how to spend Cronky money, what do you do with it? I stand up and I say, do what he said and point right at you. That's what I say. Of course, that's what you need to do. That's the biggest problem in the city. You know, I lived downtown for seven months, six months, and I liked it. Ballpark Village area is relatively safe, but if you walk a block in any direction, it's tough. And we heard sirens every night. Did you guys hear gunshots? Yeah, every now and then. But I never felt unsafe walking my dog, even at late hours. You know, the landing is, is, is horrible now, and everything between, you know, Ballpark Village and Soulard can be tenuous, and, and you go other directions, and, and it's it's just a matter of there's things you can do to get people uh, to behave better and to not want to to think that they're going to you know, be caught and punished. And it takes some money to do, I guess. I would take it all and, and do that. Your city gets too much of a bad rap. I, I don't. I can't even begin to think how many conventions uh, the city loses just because of reputation. And also, I'm about ready to pull my sponsorship from you just because you brought up that idiot Crocky's name. So <laughs> how about that? Skip getting off the lines, huh? Well, I don't know about you. From the very first time I saw Russell Brand, Russell Brand, I thought to myself, ick. But as is so often the case, the guys who you look at and you go, ick, are the ones that the babes go for, like Katy Perry, didn't last very long, but now Kathy Griffin, who is so full of shit, and the only way that she can really even get noticed anymore is to say something dramatic. And she's saying that a friend of hers was once sexually harassed by Russell Brand at an AA meeting. She also says you never hear these kinds of accusations against female comedians and actors. She's got a point there. She added that almost all male comics have spotters, guys who search the crowd to pick out women for them to hook up with later. And I know that that's true because I've seen it happen backstage. And it happened to me once. It was late 80s. And and I have a tendency to gravitate towards the girl next door types. Dark hair, dark eyes, dark skin if you can get it. But, uh, you know, just some girl who looks like she's a chick from the neighborhood. That, that, that's what I generally gravitated towards back in my single days. In this particular case, that was not what happened. I was dating a young lady who had sort of an alter ego when she would go out. She'd come over to the house just wearing jeans and a t-shirt, but we'd go out and she'd do a whole thing with her hair and her makeup. Like I said, almost an alter ego. She'd wear something very flashy, not trashy, but flashy. And she was a very good looking very, very good looking and a buxom and just kind of girl. You'd walk into a restaurant, one of those fancy restaurants, and the fish in the aquarium would stop swimming. And that's what she looked like that night. And I was sitting in maybe like row 12 for Eddie Murphy. This was at the Keel in the late 80s. And all of a sudden, a guy comes over and says, we'd like to put you in the first row. <laughs> like, okay, fine. No problem there. I'm thinking maybe they're doing it because, oh, there's famed radio announcer J.C. Corcoran. Don't leave him in row 12. Put him in the first row. 
Well, it just shows how stupid you can be sometimes because they wanted her in the first row. And about every 20 minutes, somebody come down from the crew and whisper something in her ear. And I'm like, I know exactly what's going on here. I was afraid to go to the bathroom because even if she didn't want to, if I left her, I'd come back and she'd be gone. They probably would have just kidnapped her. And it's not like a concert where you can see, all right, Fleetwood Mac's last song is going to be The Chain. All right, so maybe we leave right at the beginning of that song. We'll still hear it on the way out, but we'll beat the traffic and it just beats sitting there for an hour and a half in traffic. I'd rather do it that way. A comedy show, you can't do that. You have to just sense where the ending might be. And so I did, and I got her the hell out of there. But this Russell Brand thing, there's something like six women now who have already stepped forward and said, oh yeah, yeah, grope-a-dope. If you like the TV show The Office, good news for you. A reboot is in the works. No information available yet. Keith Richards. Keith Richards. He says he's adapted to a clean lifestyle and feels blessed that his body is still going. He's given up cigarettes, cocaine, heroin, and even his own nuclear waste vodka and orange soda cocktail. That's probably what's going to kill him, giving all that stuff up. How about Brian May? One of the best guitarists in the world, one of the best bands in the world, and an IQ of, you know, like 190 or something. When he's not picking on that guitar, he's an astrophysicist. Did you see that NASA thing the other day where they landed on an asteroid, scooped up some stuff from the asteroid, and then flew it back to Earth and it crashed on the beach? But I mean, when I say crashed, I mean sat down on the beach. And now the uh, scientists are prying it open. They're going to dig around in there and see if they can find out stuff about the origin of our universe based on what they find on the asteroid. Brian May created a stereoscopic image to ensure the spacecraft would have a safe landing. I should also point out, he is one of the nicest guys you'll ever talk to. Had that opportunity when I was in Houston. New Dave Chappelle special on Netflix starting today. Still waiting to hear details as to how quickly the late night television talk shows are going to come back. It'll be sometime, maybe next week, maybe the week after. We'll see. Journey. Announcing dates for their 50th anniversary tour next year with Toto. Sales of Jimmy Buffett songs up 7,000% in the week after his death. Stevie Nicks adding about, mm, looks like about eight shows to her concert tour, which was supposed to wrap up in early February next year. But let's see, they're coming as close as Omaha and North Little Rock with Stevie Nicks next year. All right, birthdays today. Olivia Newton-John would have been 75, didn't make it. I read a story the other day that um, Susanna Hoffs of the Bangles was told that Olivia Newton-John would sometimes record naked because that's how she felt that she could completely and totally bear her soul. It turns out, for whatever reason, Olivia Newton-John was one of Susanna Hoffs' idols. So they would chase everybody out of the place, dim the lights, Olivia Newton-John would quit the grinning and drop the linen and then start singing, I honestly love you. So they told that story to Susanna Hoffs, and she apparently recorded a couple of songs also naked, and then afterwards they told her they, they made the whole thing up. Oh, Jesus. Man, couldn't do that now. You'd end up, you know, getting canceled. Serena Williams, 42 today. Christina Milian, 
42, Jim Caviezel, who I think at this point thinks he is Jesus, 55. Melissa Sue Anderson from Little House on the Prairie, 61. Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor in The Terminator, 67. She was a blast. We had her on the air. Brian Ferry, Roxy Music. Shit, I forgot to play Roxy Music on the radio show this morning. I'm going to do a radio show at 101.5 and 101.7, and we stream at kwolf.com. Every morning, 5.30 to 10. i got to go back and pick that up tomorrow because I like a lot of that old Roxy music stuff. Anyhow, he's 78 today. Kent McCord, who, you'll recall, during the 1985 VP Fair, joined us on the Admiral. He's 81 today. I remember this. I was very, very young at the time, but I remember my dad laughing at Richard Nixon. It was the very first televised presidential debate between John Kennedy and Richard Nixon. They shot it, WBBM-TV, the CBS affiliate in Chicago, which is where I was at the time. That's where I was born and raised. And, you know, Kennedy was tan. He looked nice. He looked very calm. Nixon was very nervous. He looked shifty. His eyes were going back and forth. He was sweating like a hog. He was wearing a suit that blended right in with the backdrop. So he just looked like a talking head. And people who listened to the debate on radio said, oh, yeah, Nixon won. People who watched it on TV said, I'm never voting for that sweaty son of a bitch. And that was pretty much the end. Gilligan's Island debuting on this date in 64. Brady Bunch in 69. Bobby Ewing returned from the dead on Dallas. Yeah, it was a dream. That was 86 on this date. Rocky Horror opened in theaters on this date in 75. Crocodile Dundee. Remember, the whole world sort of went Australia crazy there in the late 80s. It was a combination of Crocodile Dundee, Men at Work, I remember the Today Show and Oprah all broadcast from that famous band shell that they have in, I think that's in Sydney. And Robert Palmer was only 54, died of a heart attack in Paris on this day 20 years ago in 2003. And new CDC data shows that a record number of Americans are obese. The study results are accurate, plus or minus Disney World. And with that, the J.C. Corcoran podcast for Tuesday, September 26, 2023, is in the can. We're here every weekday morning at 11, Monday through Thursday, with the J.C. Corcoran podcast. Contact me, J.C. at jconthelinecom Facebook, The Showgram with J.C. Corcoran. And on the air every morning on K-Wolf at 101.5. In St. Louis, 101.7 West and Beyond, and streaming at kwolf.com. Have a great day, everybody. We've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.